0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show.
1: I think I'll start with Antonio Brown. Because why not? Antonio Brown went Antonio Brown yet again. He made an ass of himself and the Tampa Bay Bucks yet again. Here is the basic description of what happened yesterday against the Jets Bruce Arians tries to get AB to go into the game, Brown refused. Twice, according to Fox Sports. Arians then tells him to, quote, get out. And then Brown did what only Brown would do in that situation. Rips off his jersey and his pads and tosses them. He throws his undershirt into the stands and he celebrates as he walks off the field shirtless. I mean, how bleeping idiotic did he look? So idiotic that stadium security told ESPN initially they thought that Brown was a fan who jumped onto the field. They didn't even know it was him. They didn't even know it was a player. They thought it was some drunk fan who got onto the field. Let me read it. Read this to you. Quote, we thought he was a jumper, one security officer said, adding that as Brown went through the tunnel, he asked state troopers for a ride to the airport, but they told him no. I mean, how insane is that sentence in and of itself? An NFL player was acting so unprofessionally that security actually thought he was some jackass fan who would run onto the field. And then as he's coming off the field, he's waving to the crowd, trying to pump everybody up, but at the same time, asks a state trooper for a ride to the airport. Hey, yo, yo, it's me, the shirtless guy that you thought was a moron fan. How about a police escort to the airport after I just quit my job and wrecked what's left of my career in the middle of a game? In the middle of a game against the Jets, no less. Like, the most Antonio Brown thing ever. And the least predictable thing in life ever. Now, if that were it, that would still be amazing. But there's more. There's always more with this guy. Quote, He was shirtless and didn't have his wallet, the security officer said, adding that Brown got changed in the locker room and was able to get alternate transportation to the airport. I got to admit, as I was watching that whole thing, all I could think is, and I did my hit from or for the NFL today on CBS from a remote location in California yesterday. All I could think was if I had been in New York the way I was supposed to be in New York, I could have run into AB at the airport. He and I could have hung out together. So, yes, he did appear to get alternate transportation to the airport because there were pics of him waiting for a ride and then videos surfaced, apparently, of him in the back of an Uber or a Lyft or something like that. So, why did this happen? It's a reasonable question, and here is a reasonable answer for you. Who the hell cares? Who cares? And who the hell is surprised? And if the Bucs say they're surprised, they're either liars or they are the dumbest organization ever. Because this is who this guy is, and this is what this guy does, and everybody knew it. And it wasn't a question of if, it was a matter of when. And there it is, right on cue. Dude torches another bridge and probably what was left of his NFL career. Of course, he thinks it was not his fault. Nothing ever is he'd have you believe that the reason he did not re-enter the game was because he couldn't because of that jacked-up ankle. Yeah, I guess. Maybe. Except he didn't seem to have any issues as he ripped off his pads and danced right through the end zone into the tunnel as he quit on all the dopes in that organization who actually believed that this day would never come. Did that guy look like... He couldn't re enter the game as he was dancing through the end zone into the tunnel. I mean, I'm no doctor and I can't really tell from this far away, but he looked fine to me. Hey, let me tell you something Bruce Arians did not cut Antonio Brown. Let me repeat that Arians did not cut Antonio Brown, Brown quit on Arians and the team. The only reason he's not a buck right now is because he doesn't want to be a buck. Because they proved that they were willing to tolerate pretty much anything this guy did. Honestly, I'm shocked they're not going to just run this guy right back out there next week. I mean, seriously, how different is this from anything he's done in the past? Really, how is this different? Literally everybody in this process, Arians, Brady, the organization... Everybody looks terrible because there's no way they can say that they didn't see this coming. There's no way they could say they did not know this was going to happen when they signed him because that's exactly what they signed up for. And of course, that's the end of his time with the Bucs. But again, I want to be very clear about this. Zero credit to Tampa Bay for saying that after he quit in a game and he walked off the field shirtless and he got a ride to the airport. Zero credit zero to point. Bruce Arians, who I've always liked, but zero credit to him for saying, quote, he's no longer a buck after the game. Arians did not go all badass and fire Brown. Brown quit. It's like that disgruntled employee who screams, you can't fire me, I quit. Question, (laughs) exactly what the hell was this guy so upset about this time? He had more than 100 yards receiving the week prior. He got a ring. He had a look at another ring. So what was so bad that this guy had to quit in the middle of a game? Against the Jets, no less. Again, they did not fire him. He quit. Because Tampa Bay was fine with everything else. They knew about everything else that we know about. And they probably knew some stuff that we don't know about. And they were fine with everything he had done before he got to Tampa Bay. They were fine with him submitting a fake vax card and potentially putting countless people in danger. Man, they were fine with all of it. Remember when Bruce Arians said last year that if Brown, quote, screws up one time, he's gone? Yeah, obviously that wasn't true at all. And he told everybody that when he was asked about the possibility of being criticized for being a hypocrite, and Arians said, quote, I could give a bleep what they think. End of quote. Man, that is the truth, isn't it? Arians, the Bucks, everybody involved could give a bleep what we all think. Not only that, but only a few days ago, Arians was telling Peter King that Brown had been, quote, a model citizen. End quote. And that there was, quote, a new history, end quote. Yeah, I guess. Except for that little thing about the fake vax card. Aside from that time that he blatantly lied to his team, his teammates, the coaches, everybody in the facility, and he made a fool out of the head coach. Yeah, other than all of that, he's been a model citizen. So again, zero credit to Arians for saying that Brown is no longer a buck. Because at the rate things have gone with Brown and the Bucks, I'm actually surprised that he's not suiting up for them on Sunday. Like Again, how is this worse than the allegation of sexual assault? The burglary charges, the fake vax card, everything else he's done. How is this worse than all of that? You've tolerated pretty much everything else up to this point, so don't pretend now that you've got a conscience or integrity, or a spine. And just so we're clear, zero credit to Tom Brady for getting up there yesterday and telling everybody you really should have compassion for Brown. Look, I know Brown is Brady's guy. I know he brought Brown to New England and had him stay in his house, allegedly, despite Brown's horrible track record. And then after the Patriots gave up on him because he made threats to an accuser that could be qualified as, quote, intimidating... Brady brought him to Tampa Bay, too, and had him stay with him again. And I'm sure Brown wouldn't have come back from that fake vax card if Brady did not want him back. In other words, Tom Brady is all in on Antonio Brown, and so is Bruce Arians, and so are the Bucs. So none of them get to say, oh, we've never seen anything like this, and just move on. At least they shouldn't. Brady... Arians, the organization, they owe everybody a little more accountability than just saying he's not a member of the team, I don't want to talk about it, and be compassionate towards this guy. Man, there's got to be some ownership here, right? There needs to be an acknowledgement that Brady and Arians and the whole organization screwed up. You can't just put this off on Brown having a bad day or being a troubled guy. What happened yesterday with Brown is in no way surprising and in no way out of character. Arians, Brady, and the Bucks put their reputations on the line for this guy, and they need to own the fact that they got burned and they look like idiots. Man, I would love to say this is the end of Brown's career, because I would love to never have to talk about this guy ever again, except I'm not sure it is. Because you know at some point, some other team will say, we don't care about the sexual assault allegations, we don't care about the felony burglary charges, we don't care about the eight-game suspension for conduct, we don't care about the three-game suspension for the fake vax card, we don't care about the threat to fight the GM, and we don't care that he quit in the middle of a game against the Jets, and all that other stuff that we don't even know about. The Raiders gave him a shot, the Patriots gave him a shot, the Bucks gave him a shot, and there's a pretty damn good chance somebody else will too. Trust me, they'll all forget about all of this and say that everybody deserves a 15th chance. And he'll get it with somebody and then they'll say the same thing. He's a model citizen. It's a new history. And then something like this will happen. And then that team will be, pretend to be all shocked and surprised by it. And then we'll just repeat the entire thing all over again. Like Antonio Brown looks like an ass, but the Bucks look even worse. He is no longer a Buck. All right, that's the end of the story. Let's talk about the guys that went out there and won the game. Not good enough, Bruce. Not good enough. Honestly, not good enough. And now a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that's useful, like cash back match, for instance. Discover matches all the cash back that you have earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com match. Limitations do apply. He is Charles Robinson, dude. Happy New Year! What's going on? How are you?
0: I'm uh, I'm sitting here contemplating that we've all been given the the future template for how we should quit our jobs. Right. <laughs> <Just> drip <laughs> it, drip down from from the waist up. <laughs> in, in, front of, in front of as many people as possible. <laughs> dude. It was. Uh, All-timer. Only in week 17, you know, could the biggest story of the NFL season drop, especially after a season like this. This is like the single biggest moment where uh, it's just everyone, I think, was slack-jawed seeing that
1: yesterday I I so love this like I don't even need to bring it up you can go right into it he is giving us the playbook on how to quit and wreck what's left of our career allegedly so like when you're connecting with people around the league as that's going down what were you hearing from them
0: I the best text of all so as it's, I I wasn't watching a game I was flipping back through some different games and and then you know I start to see in my feed my Twitter feed that like Antonio Brown's taking his clothes off he's like leaving the stadium throwing stuff in the in the stands and I'm like, what is going on? So i finally catch up to it. And I, I start texting people who, you know, I knew typically will text me back on game day or whatever, you know, some of the Monday night teams. And I'm just saying like, are you seeing this? Like are you watching this, like what, you know, what's going through your mind as you're watching this. And uh, one AFC executive, I put it perfectly and I hadn't even really thought about it, but you know, he said, it's not like he's playing for the jets. He's in a playoff run with tom brady right like what is he doing like it was just it's beyond comprehension and you know it's i think some people it was a nothing surprises me with him anymore and other people it was just like this is the capper like you you never you you don't think he could cap it but this is the capper and no one ever remembers seeing anything anything like this. I mean, I'm working on 20 years of experience around the league and and I can't remember it, but, but I'm, I'm talking to like lifers and they're like, I don't ever remember seeing anything like this happen, let alone on television, let alone literally like on the doorstep of a a playoff, beginning a playoff run to be back-to-back Super Bowl champions. And Oh, by the way, within reach of a million dollars worth of, of incentives. I mean, it's just, incomprehensible.
1: Charles Robinson is joining us. All right. So others also rushed to this and you covered this in your podcast. So I want to ask you about this. What is your reaction when you hear People suggest that it's the result of CTE and that this is all about mental health.
0: I First off, we don't know. Like people are saying it's CTE. You don't know it's CTE. You have no idea. Like it's, it's there's sometimes I feel like we're starting to get to this point, particularly in pro football that like, there's this disconnect between believing whether maybe some people just aren't great people you know like some people aren't they're just not they're not the greatest and and automatically when something like this happens it's well oh it's here we go it's head injuries this is all connected to head injuries look man we meet people every day in life who are not their compass is not dialed in maybe like other people and you can't just automatically assume it's a result of head injuries or mental illness or whatever. There's a lot of, um, you know, people who stay at the Holiday Inn and all of a sudden become, you know, clinicians or, you know, feel like they have a handle on on what clearly is a mental health issue. Um, I understand looking at at Antonio Brown and seeing that, but the one thing that's interesting to me, particularly when you hear Tom Brady talk about, you know, hey, we got to have some empathy for this guy and the things that he's going through, is this has sort of become the the Antonio Brown kind of hall pass, the the negotiable hall pass. So every time you go throughout this litany of incidents he's had in his history, and there's so many, it's like, okay, is it all mental health? Is some of it mental health? Like what are we going to pick and choose? Is it like a grocery store? We're going to pick and choose what things he does. And we decide to apply mental health to that. Or, is he just someone who has gotten to this point in his career and had people covering for him or making excuses for him or, you know, uh, justifying away the behavior. So at some point you become entitled to being like, Oh, I don't have to change what I do or who I am or how I act because Hey, Bruce Arians, you know, let me stick around after I basically lied to people about my vaccine card. And then he told Peter King, like, hey, he's creating this new history, you know, as if you can actually create a new history. No, your history is your history. It's just, you know, Tom Brady sticks up for him, Bruce Arian sticks up for him. Something like this happens, and it's probably because of the fact that he's been able to pretty much get away with everything that he's done prior to this without really facing the kind of consequences that keep him out of the league forever.
1: Right. Of course. Why, why wouldn't he do these things? They enable him every step of the way. So Charles Robinson, my guest, to that point, you mentioned Brady, you mentioned Arians, in your opinion, how do they look and the organization, how do they all look to you in light of all of this and how responsible are they for all of this?
0: Well, I, I think, I, I think they enabled it. I think that again, Bruce Arians saying, okay, you know, I'm going to have a one strike mentality but then all of a sudden saying, no, 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 I changed that because of this whole idea of him creating a new history and being the model citizen. So I, I erased that line and I redrew it. And then the, you know, that's why the vaccine card, you know, fiasco, uh, you, you know, which it was clearly a situation where he lied to everybody in the organization. And what, but we're, we're going to go ahead and, you know, we're not going to worry about that now. Okay. Well, that's going to have an impact on how Antonio Brown conducts himself. Okay. And, and him then turning the, you know, turning to the media and saying, Oh, it's the media. This is about football. You guys are about drama. Okay. All right. It's, clearly it's the media's fault that this is all happening. And then again, you know, Tom Brady, every time there's questions about, well, what about this behavior? What about this incident? You know, he, he kind of frames it in this light of, of mental health, again, meaning, Here's, here's the path. Here's the explanation. Here's how we explain it away. It it makes them look like enablers, but the reality is both Bruce Arians and Tom Brady got what they wanted out of the deal. They won the Super Bowl last year. Frankly, I think, you know, taking it into a second year is probably a little bit greedy. And it was extremely greedy after the vaccination card fiasco. Um, you You cut your deal. OK. And so now you have to live with. The consequence of it. And and this is a huge consequence because he was vital at this point. They knew it. They said it. Bruce Arians all but came out and said, the only reason he's still on the team is because we absolutely have to have him. Well, you know, now everybody knows that and you don't have him and you you reap what you sow at this stage.
1: Charles Robinson, my guest. And hey, listen, one quick topic before I let you go. Green Bay thrashed Minnesota last night to wrap up that number one seed in the NFC. Let me ask you this, because Aaron Rodgers looks like he's going to win the MVP again. Is there any reason to believe that the Packers will do what they need to do to give this guy what he wants and what he has earned, or is that just not in them, and is he going to walk at the end of the season still?
0: No, I think they're putting it back together. It feels, I, I feel like the reality that's sort of come out that, hey, Devontae Adams isn't going anywhere. They're going to, they're going to use the franchise tag on him. So even if they can't get a long-term deal done, he's going to be in the fold. That's vital to keeping Aaron Rodgers. I think the fact that Rodgers has already, you know, put it out there that, hey, the, there does feel like there's more communication that there was before. Um, you know, he's had sort of these moments where he's reminiscing or, you know, it just, it feels like they're in a much better place now than where they were. But I will say this, everything's good now. Like everything's great. You're going you locked up the number one seed, the playoff road in the NFC goes through Lambeau. That's fantastic. It was great last year too. And the year before when the Packers went to the NFC title game and in both of those situations, when they lost those games, there was a lot of criticism on the other side of it. So let's not think that history can't repeat ourselves here with Green Bay. Let's see how this ends, because if they fall short of the Super Bowl, it's going to be a bad feeling and there's going to be, you know, a little bit of chaos thrown into, you know, the party that they're having right now. So let's let it play out and not assume that just because they got the number one seed and it's going through Lambeau, that they're going to be able to, you know, take that extra step. And if they don't, there are going to be plenty of questions on the other side of it, and there's no guarantee that, that you know, Rogers and everybody
1: comes back. He is a senior NFL reporter for Yahoo! He is He is also the host of You Pod to Win the Game. He is Charles Robinson, our first guest of 2022. Appreciate you, Charles. Thank you very much, man. Great to have you on, as always.
0: Oh, wow, I appreciate that. Thanks, Jim. And tell Pat Forty I said hello. Ask him to tell some stories. He's got some good stories about us.
1: Stories about what? <laughs> what should I hit him up for? Ask him, ask him,
0: uh, ask him about the uh, the best drinking story he has from the London Olympics. He'll he'll give you a good one. I love, a there. I love it already. I love it already.
1: Good man. All right, dude. Thanks so much. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper Wild Trapper because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family owned business that takes smoked beef very seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Who wants dried, Tough beef in a bag. Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy. For those of you who like to take things up a notch, next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? He is Pat Forty. Pat, Happy New Year. Good to have you. Pat, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Jim. Good to be on with you. It's good to have you, Pat. Sincerely. Now, I could not wait to get to the college football playoff with you. However, our guy Charles Robinson came on in hour number one. He knew you were coming on this hour. And I want you to listen, Pat, to what he said to me as I thanked him for coming on the program. Check this out, Pat.
0: Thanks, Jim. And tell Pat Forty, I said hello. Ask him to tell some stories. He's got some good stories about him.
1: What should I hit him up for?
0: Ask him about the uh, the best drinking story he has from the London Olympics. He'll, he'll give you a good one. There's I love it already.
1: There. Hey, Pat, so tell me the best drinking story, Pat, that you have from the London Olympics.
2: <laughs> It'd be great if Charles could actually keep his mouth shut on things like this. But, <laughs> uh, but since to, he can't. To, yeah, to, to get to the point there, yes, uh... The night of the opening ceremony, uh, we did not go to the opening ceremony. We instead thought that would be our first, a one night, really, before you just start working 16 hours a day to celebrate a little bit. And Dan Wetzel and myself uh, met Charles and our boss, Johnny Ludden. We all worked at Yahoo at the time uh, at a sushi restaurant. And I think alarmed the patrons by going rather aggressively at uh, – at a sushi restaurant in London. And at one point there was a beer drinking contest between Dan and Charles. And I bet a lot of of London pounds on Dan and and got routed. Charles uh, put on an epic display of uh, of drinking that night and we we were hurting the next day all of us that's for sure
1: all right so i can appreciate that story pat those are four legends of this industry right here that you just mentioned so i wish i'd been there for that thanks for sharing listen if you and i pat were to go back to before the start of the georgia michigan semifinal, given how the bulldogs have been beaten in the sec championship game what kind of a georgia team were you expecting to see friday night
2: well, I, I I was expecting to see a better team and one that would win, but boy, I, they were even more impressive uh, the, than I expected. You know, I thought that Michigan would have a real hard time running the ball against them uh, and that, that, you know, just that, that Georgia matched up against Michigan a lot better than it did against Alabama, uh, and I'd seen covered several Georgia games during the year. I knew they were better than they had played against Alabama, but What they did offensively was really impressive to me. I mean, Stetson Bennett was great. Threw the ball, uh, got it out quickly, got it out uh, to playmakers through deep, and that was the best Stetson Bennett I'd seen after seeing one of the worst Stetson Bennett performances against Alabama.
1: We're talking to Pat Forty. Listen, Pat, we know what Georgia is capable of. We know that's a good squad. But how do you explain Michigan looking so disorganized and getting dominated pretty much from the opening kickoff?
2: You know, that that really surprised me is that, that whether it's just that beating Ohio State and beating Penn State and the the teams that they did defeat just was not at the same level. That competition was not at the same level as Georgia. You know, I think Georgia and Alabama are way better than everybody else. Uh, I think that's been fairly clearly established now. And, you know, being able to run up and down the field against Ohio state doesn't mean you can do that against, against the Georgia defense that just has, you know, NFL guys all over the field, and especially in the front seven. So, There was a talent difference, there was a physicality difference, and there was a speed difference. And I thought it was pretty glaring, and and Michigan just didn't have a plan B. But I kind of never did think they were going to have a plan B because they had been reliant on playing a certain way.
1: So we're talking to Pat Forty. So, Pat, what that does, of course, that sets up a Georgia-Alabama rematch next Monday night. If you're Kirby smart, Pat, what are you focused on between now and Monday?
2: You know, I think you just – look back at what you did against Alabama and figure out what you could do better. And, and I think it's relatively simple. Um, you can't just rely on uh, front four rush. You've got to, you've got to bring pressure and then you've just got to cover better on the back end. And while they, they, they're going to give up some big plays, I would think in the passing game, but not as many as they did last time. For one thing, John Mechie's injury makes Alabama easier to cover. You've got Jamison Williams and, some other role players, but you don't have that second, you know, high speed vertical threat. Uh, and then you just, you, you clean up a couple of mistakes. If you go back and look, Georgia was winning 10 0 against Alabama and then just had a massive coverage bust that allowed Jameson Williams to go 66 yards for a touchdown. And after that, all of a sudden, the game just tilted. You don't have, you take away a couple of those busts. And I think Georgia has a chance of actually controlling the game.
1: Okay, so I was going to say, Pat, I, I hear exactly what you're saying, and then especially the last part of that. I was going to say, in fact, I will say, are you at all surprised that Georgia right now is a field goal favorite?
2: I, I mean, uh, yes and no. Like, I, I just didn't think that uh, that Vegas would, would say a team that lost by 17 points to to another team on a neutral field, then a month later is going to be the favorite. You know, that that, that kind of runs counter to – to what you would think Vegas would look at things and deduce. But, you know, I think that for people that watch both these teams all season, Georgia's had the more consistent season. They've been great in 13 of their 14 games, and then they got smoked by Alabama in that one game. And I think basically the bet is – Alabama cannot play that well and Georgia that poorly on the same field again a second time.
1: We are talking to Pat Forty for a few more moments. So, Pat, it wasn't just that Georgia hammered Michigan, Alabama put that beating on Cincinnati, and that continues that ugly trend of blowouts in the college football playoff. Like, How big of a problem is it that the playoff consistently produces blowouts?
2: I think it's a problem, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, when it's the centerpiece of the sport and the centerpiece of the sport is boring every time, I mean, that, that doesn't help. I, I, I'm not sure what you do about it. I mean, that's the thing. I, I do think expanding the playoff, while it may not make for better semifinals, it makes for more compelling games that people sit down and say, I, I really want to watch that, whether it's, you know, uh, first-round games on campus sites in a 12-team playoff and then quarterfinals. In bowl games and semifinals and bowl games, I I just think you're going to get more games that matter. You're going to have fewer players opting out. You're going to have more competitive games. You're going to have, you know, kind of the spectacle or what have you of, you know, Ohio State hosting Florida, per se, on, you know, in a December game when it's 30 degrees in Columbus that I think people would enjoy seeing. You could see a Cincinnati having a heavyweight come into Nippert Stadium. Uh, but I, I don't know whether right now you can do much about making the semifinals better as long as Nick Saban's at Alabama and then, you know, whether it's, whether it's Georgia, whether it's Ohio State, whether it's Clemson, the other team has been way better than who they have played as well.
1: Right. Pat Forty joining us. And to that point, Pat, before you go, you've got a piece up right now on SI.com about the bowl games and the conversation surrounding bowl games and part of what we just talked about. I want to ask you this. For a good chunk of a Saturday, there was a lot of discussion about Kirk Herbstreit saying, quote, I think this era a player just doesn't love football. End of quote. Pat, in your opinion, if a player opts out of a bowl game, is that proof that they don't love football?
2: No, I don't think it is. And, you know, I, I like Kirk a great deal. And I think he's done a great service in general, for, you know, in his job for college football. I don't want to, you know, turn this into too much of a Kirk bashing thing, but I disagree with that statement for sure. Uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> there's been plenty of guys who love football a lot who decided, you know what, this game doesn't matter that much. And I've seen what happened to Jalen Smith at Notre Dame and Jake Budd at Michigan, where you have. A major injury that affects your pro future, and you say, you know what, I, I just—it's not in my best interest to play this game. And, and th- that doesn't mean they don't love football. I, I, I just think that that's too easy to say and unfair to too many players who have, you know, worked very hard and put on great performances for the entirety of their college career, and they get to the end and say, if 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 the powers that be don't care about these games, why am I supposed to?
1: I think, Pat, also, I w- not only do I agree with everything you just said, but let's make the point also, there are a lot of head coaches who leave their programs for new jobs and skip out of bowl games in the process. Knowing that, how fair is it then to criticize players for doing the same thing? How is that different?
2: Well, that's the thing. I think the message has been very clear to the players that, that the system doesn't care about them, that college coaches... You know, when they change jobs, like, well, I got to go. Well, why? You've got a bowl game coming up. Well, I got a recruiting class. You know, it's like, so clearly the bowl game doesn't matter to them. It doesn't matter to the schools that make the changes, uh, you know, that are firing coaches in October and November and then bringing in other coaches. Like they have the, they're the ones that established the model of tossing away the season, so to speak. Uh, and then the players are looking and saying, well, if it doesn't matter to them, why am I supposed to be the one then that puts it on the line and possibly gets has a major injury when the game doesn't
1: really matter that much? No doubt. He is a senior writer for Sports Illustrated, co-host of the College Football Enquirer podcast, and he's got a ton of good stories. Pat, great to have you back. Thanks so much. Happy New Year. Good to talk to you as always. Same to you, Jim. Thanks very much. Let me take a moment and talk to you about WinBet. The latest and greatest sports betting app on the market. The same five-star hotel service that you know and love is now in the digital betting space, providing an elite sports book and digital casino app. Whether you're playing money lines for NFL Week 18, totals for college football bowl season, or both, WinBet has you covered. Looking for other sports? WinBet has those too. It's all right there for your WinBet app. And WinBet is also fully integrated with Win Rewards. That means by playing WinBet, you can accrue points to earn free credit in app and comp dollars towards perks at Win Resorts, discounted hotel stays, priority dining and entertainment, free merch. It really is the best loyalty program in the industry. Call it a win-win. Whether playing from your phone or your computer, you've absolutely got to sign up for WinBet asap bet with the best get into the game terms and conditions at winbet.com you do have to be 21 or older and present in the state where play through win bet is available if you or somebody you know has a gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700 so why don't we start with something kind of upbeat something kind of fun a referee yeah i know i mean that sounds counterintuitive what is less fun than talking about the referees What's less upbeat than talking about how much the referees suck? I mean, I get that. I know that. However, if you know the ref that I'm talking about, you know what's coming next. And if you don't know, you're about to know. I want to talk for a minute about Sean Smith. Now, normally, and I always say this, if I know a referee's name or an umpire's name, that's not a good thing. You don't ever want to know their names. If you know their names, it's because something bad happened. Except in the case of Smith. If we know his name, it's because it's a good thing. Because this legend went viral in the second quarter as he was getting set to announce a penalty.
3: Hey, hey, hey. Defense
4: number 40.
1: Now, I'm not even sure what's better. I'm not sure what's better. The ref starting his call with, hey, 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 hey. or the crowd answering back.
4: back 40.
1: <laughs> what an amazing referee moment. Call it a tie. We should actually call it a new rule. Starting right now, I want all officials to break out with the Kawhi Leonard. Hey, hey, hey! Before hey, they hey, make hey. any announcement. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, 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 hey,
5: hey, hey.
1: Do that. And the fans can't help but love every bad call you make. Hey, you hey, could eject their quarterback, but if you start it with, hey, 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 they'd probably still be cool with it. I mean, the thing is NFL refs have had a horrible year, and I've cracked them plenty, and they've deserved every single bit of it. But Sean Smith may have just redeemed the entire profession yesterday. Hey, hey, hey. And speaking of redeeming a profession, how about a shout out to Mike Zimmer? Hey, Zim. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. The Vikings coach just endured a brutal night, losing 37 to 10 in Green Bay in one degree wind chill. This is why you saw me send pics of Mexico and not Northern Wisconsin. I had a choice. I own a home in Northern Wisconsin. It would have been a hell of a lot cheaper to go there. Or I could go rent some space in Mexico this time of year. Seeing how things looked at Green Bay, I think I did the right thing. As Zim. Anyway, he goes into a must-win game. Zimmer goes into a must-win game without his starting quarterback due to COVID. In other words, the very thing that Mike Zimmer had been fearing most since August when Kirk Cousins said that he would not get vaccinated happened. The worst thing being that the quarterback would not be available in part because he did not get vaccinated when the team could least afford that happening. I know that people who are vaxxed have tested positive. I understand this. However, you've got the quarterback, and he decided not to, and that was the fear. Man, we're going to need this guy. At some point, we're going to really need this guy in a big game, and something bad's going to happen, and it did. So instead of having their alleged franchise quarterback for a must-win game, instead, they had Sean Mannion, And no disrespect to Sean Mannion, which means Sean Mannion is about to get disrespected. But nobody anywhere is looking for Sean Mannion to lead a team to a critical win on the road at Lambeau late in the season. Not even Sean Mannion. Not even Sean Mannion's family. Nobody. Nobody was looking for that to happen. And it didn't. And it wasn't close. And now it's pretty clear that Mike Zimmer is not looking to see Kellen Mon in a now meaningless game against Chicago. Because after last night's game, Zimmer was asked about the rookie, and he dropped one of the colder lines that you're ever going to hear. Do you think you want to get a look at Mon next week?
5: Not particularly. I see him every day.
1: Damn, that was cold. That was colder than the temps in Green Bay last night. Do you want to get a look at Mond next week? Not particularly. Not particularly. There's Zim coming off the top rope again. I mean, how brutal is that? Damn, that's brutal. How's that taste, Kellen? And wait, there's more. Because when Zimmer was asked to follow up on why he didn't want to get a look at him, he responded, as you heard, I see him every day. I see him every day. Boom. Have some more, Kellen Mond. I see him every day. He might as well have chased that with, I see him every day, and I am so sick of this dude's face. I see him every day. Why not, coach? I mean, you got nothing to play for. do you want to get a look at the kid? Day. No. Well, why not? Because I see him every single day. I see him every day. Don't you want to see what you got with the guy? Well, I already know what I got with the guy. Not particularly. Nothing. I see him every day. So good. And so cold. And so brutal. And if it wasn't for Jamar Chase, Mike Zimmer, and that line would have been the nastiest thing we saw all weekend, but Jamar Chase does exist. And Jamar Chase is still collecting apologies from all of you who said in the preseason that Cincinnati drafting him was a big mistake. Because it sure as hell was not facing the two-time defending AFC champs with the divisional title on the line. I mean, how weird is that? The divisional title was on the line, and the Bengals were in the mix. All of that in play, and all Chase did was have 11 receptions for 266 yards and three touchdowns. And even that does not begin to do it justice. You actually have to see some of his work to actually believe it. Like the first tutty. Roll it. Burrow catches a shotgun snap. Throws. Got a man wide open at the 40. It is caught. Chase. the left field. Come on, Jamar. To the 40. The Chiefs 30.
3: The Chiefs 20. The 10. The 5. Gone. Touchdown. Bengals.
1: Bengals radio. Like, he catches that and makes a move around the 42-yard line. And in that moment, there were like a half a dozen Kansas City players with a reasonable chance of making a play but the reality is none of them had a chance to make a play because Chase makes a move, hits the Jets, and he is gone. That looked like a grown man playing against children, and that was just the start. That was just a taste. There was also this. Burrow throwing it toward the end zone. Chase beats his man with a back shoulder throw.
3: Touchdown, Bengals.
1: That's two for him. What a great grab. Just a manly grab. And then there was this. Burrow back to throw. Good protection. Fires deep down the yeah. sideline.
3: Chase wide oh, open. Sprinting downfield oh. to the 20. The 10. <laughs> Touchdown. Man. Bengals. Unreal. 69 yards.
1: It's a good gig yeah. if you're the analyst. You can just sit there and just say things like, yeah. yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Uh, yeah. Scoreboard, bitch. Look up yeah. at it. Yeah.
5: yeah.
1: Hey, all of you who left this guy for dead, tell me how my ass tastes. Yeah. Tell me how my ass tastes. Yeah, but yeah. why not? Why wouldn't you be excited, man? He's great. Like Kansas City. Kansas City had been playing so much better defensively the last several weeks. You can't hang that on them in that regard. You can't say they're a bad defensive team. They had been a much better defensive team. In fact, I could even argue one of the better defensive teams in the league the last several weeks, and they could not do a damn thing about Jamar Chase and because of what he did. And then the absolute brass set on Zach Taylor to go for it on fourth and goal from the one with less than a minute to go in a tie game. Do you believe this guy went for it?
2: Here they go. They go for it. Fourth and goal. Burrow. First option not there. Gives it up to Mixon. Looks for an opening. Oh, it's going to be close. There's a flag down. They mark him short. There were fouls by both teams during the play, holding offense number 79, holding defense number 35. Yeah. Those fouls offset. You You still go for
3: it,
1: I guess, huh? No!
3: Kick the field goal! <laughs> That's going. what I say.
1: Yeah, you're right. Don't you think? Yeah, they went for it. They didn't get it. So you know what? Man, take a step back. Kick the field goal. Kick a field goal. The hell they will. Fourth down goal to go with the one for the Bengals. Burrow
2: takes the snap. Moving to the right side. Wants a throwback play. The pass is incomplete. <laughs> Flags thrown in the end zone, however. The illegal use of hands to the face. Defense. Number 35. Half this is to the goal. Burrow took a shot. Burrow limping. They're out of timeouts. Automatic first down with the penalty.
1: Can't lie to you. At that point, I'm thinking to myself, man, that's what you get. There's being aggressive. There's having a belief in your offense. There's not wanting to give the ball back to the other guy when the other guy is Patrick Mahomes. But there's tempting fate, too, right? They go for it, and then I'm thinking to myself, Burrow goes down? What if that ended their year? Well, finish the game first, and then we'll figure that out. The kick, kick is it.
3: on its yeah. way. Yeah. It is good! The Cincinnati Bengals clinch yeah. the AFC North and prove... They can beat anybody.
1: I agree with that. Yeah. And come to find out, it looks like Bro's going to be fine, so it's okay. Here's something I have not been able to say in a long time. The Bengals are division champs. The Bengals are dangerous as hell. I'm not sure I've ever said that. Sure, they've had a really weird year. They've been up and down. But as that guy just said, and I would tend to echo this myself, as weird as they've been, even if they've proven that they can lose to anybody at any time, they've also proven they can beat anybody at any time. To me, they've proven that their best can beat anybody else's best, and this is, once again, not a team that you want to run into in the postseason. They went from dead last in the division to divisional champs, and they did it in a year where their quarterback was coming off a shredded knee. Like, that is impressive as hell. Really impressive. Yeah! yeah! Raider Mike. Happy New Year, Mike. What's up? Band
6: smack. Same to you, babe. Hey, AB
3: didn't throw his undershirt into the stands. He threw that yellow jacket, and uh, what a shame. Now, Jim, I, I know it's hell weak, but I would be remiss by not recognizing the greatness that was John Madden. I I grew up watching this guy. I grew up watching his teams on on TV, and to me, his everlasting legacy will be that of a winner. So, Jim, I'm at the public house yesterday. I'm talking about Madden's 72% winning percentage, and some knucklehead says yeah, but he only has one Super Bowl win, and and I'm like, dude, you do know he spent the entire first half of the 1970s going toe-to-toe with two of the elite dynasties in NFL history. The 72 Miami Dolphins and the Steel Curtain Pittsburgh Steelers and believe me John Madden delivered his share of haymakers twice Fans Matt twice this dude beat those teams in the playoffs ending back-to-back Super Bowl runs for each of them and speaking of which you know, he was probably one Rob Lytle fumble from having a puncher's chance of going back-to-back himself. And that is what John Madden was. He was a winner first and foremost. Now, speaking of wins, Vance a, a big statement win yesterday. You know, only last week, Indy was the sexy pick of all the pundits to take on KC in the AFC. And yet today, nobody is talking about how the Raiders went into their house and punched them right in the grill. You know, our quarterback, he overcame some boneheaded mistakes, played a leap down the stretch. The offense controlled the ball 31 minutes. The defense, our new and improved defense, held Indy to 3-4-11 on third down. That's how you beat a power running game. And, oh, by the way, the Colts are now 9-1 and in games that Jonathan Taylor rushes for 100 yards if you need them. You know, Jim, The way this season's gone, I feel like right now, I'm at the Tropicana playing with house money. But as the big guy in the sky would say, don't worry about the horse being blind, just load the friggin' wagon. We're on to Hell Week, Raider Nation, baby, I'm out.
1: Rack him, Raider Mike. Dude, no love for your guy, Alex Leatherwood. (laughs) You know he's right, though. The Raiders have had a really tough and bad year. Yo, Gino, dude, Happy New Year. What's up, man? How are you?
6: Matt, 2022, I just thought I'd start my year off right by calling into the legend himself. But you weren't kidding when you said earlier in the show that you're going to have to sell your call to the screener. That glorified hostess wouldn't show me to my table until I pre-capped the entire call. I think that pre-cap took me longer than this actual call is going to take. But you know what? It's worth it. Get to talk to Romy in 2022. Much like Tom Brady, Romy, you're a legend. You're still on top of your game, and I never, ever— get tired of listening to you but I cannot say the same for Tom Brady because I am sick of listening to TB12 go nuke Lelouch with all of his platitudes on AB, with his endless stream of garbage about how, oh, you got to show some love to AB. We need to understand him. we He's got some issues, and we just need to be there for him. No. Hey, Tom, I am not buying what you're selling, my friend. You know, Lazard said that he caught the 443rd touchdown from Rodgers, but I caught the 443rd worthless platitude from you after the game. Lazard said he had to sit down and do some self-reflection after that catch. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I reflect on how much of my time you have wasted having to listen to your endless rationalizations. You know what? is, uh, is a B sick? Uh, how would I know? I don't know this guy. I have no idea. My only relationship with him is that he cost me a fantasy football ring yesterday when I lost by three points while he was quitting on my team. You know, I never thought that anybody could displace Kowit Leonard for shameless quitting on his team, but, uh, this was definitely a more spectacular quit. You know, quit, he's more of a tantric quitter. He likes to drag it out over the entire season, but a V is clearly gifted with the quitting art. So, So, uh, you know what, Tom, Uh, I don't know why you're trying to be so slick about what the truth really is, and that is so obvious, which is that you put up with AB because it was good for Team Terrific until it wasn't. Sell that garbage down the street, Tom, because I ain't buying it. And speaking of things that are for sale, you know what else I'm sick of right about now? Bombas. Bombas socks. That's right. Filling my email with passive aggressive requests to give them a review. Gino, will you please give us a review on those socks that you bought? No. No. What's in it for me, Bombas? Here was the agreement. I give you X amount of dollars. You send me and apparently some homeless guy a pair of socks. Yes. Yes. They were comfy. In fact, they did arrive on time. No, the size chart was way off. But I will not give you a review that was not in the deal. What's in it for me? All of you worthless companies, quit filling up my email box with requests for reviews. They're not coming. Romy, looking forward to 2022 and the jungle. Stay strong and eat kids.
1: My man, Gino. Studio City. Beeks. What's going on, Beeks? How are you? Happy New Year
4: brother. Uh, happy new year. Uh, good to hear you back. Um, haven't been able to listen to the show for, for a bit, but, uh, doing all right here, but Hey, I was, I was sitting here listening to the end of the show and, uh, I didn't hear Raider Mike's take on, on Madden, but here's mine. I was sitting over here looking over at my Raiders hat, which is, I was born in Oakland, right? So I'm a Raiders fan. But I've got a Los Angeles Raiders hat, like the NWA-style type hat, right? So I'm looking over at that, and I go, yeah, Madden was amazing. But I go, you know what? They took that first video game, which they keep talking about, the Madden game that everybody loves, and then they made Rex in the ABQ-style it went crappier and crappier and crappier, and it went on and on and on. And it was the same game, but it just got worse and worse. And all I want to say is unwar everybody that's saying that, that all oh, the Madden games were amazing. They didn't do that guy justice. He was way better than that. Madden was, he's a legend. And those games didn't do him any justice. So unwore that, and unwore uh, the sh- uh, the the
1: shirtless
4: picture that Twelvewood has on his wall that I gave him for
1: Christmas two years ago. I'm out. Alan Lazard is my guest. Alan, good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me again. It's good to have you again. Listen, in fact, let me rephrase the question. How are you, knowing that you're waking up on Monday morning, coming off a big win, and knowing that you're the team with the home field advantage throughout the playoffs and the week off that comes along with it, how does that feel on a Monday morning?
5: I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm pretty banged up. I'm pretty sore. Um, you know, last night's win wasn't easy. But knowing that we do have that bye week, we can get an extra week to rest of our bodies, uh, my mental's a lot better um, waking up today.
1: I get that. You had a big game last night. There were a number of moments that we could talk about, but why don't you take me through the touchdown that made it 13 nothing? What did you see on that play, and then how did you go about adjusting for the ball and making sure he came down with it?
5: Yeah, that was just kind of one of those moments you know, um, periodically throughout a game where Aaron just kind of draws up his own plays in a sense. Um, you know, we get to the huddle and he just ask me if I wanted to run a, a curl pump. And I just looked at him and said, yeah. And we kind of ran a play where, you know, it wasn't necessarily a play that we practiced, a play that we scripted, not really in our playbook, so to speak, as like a a formidable play. But, you know, obviously something we can run when you have 12 back there. And um, I think he did a great job. He he put a a great amount of air on it for me to be able to get – I'm in a good position to be able to go high for it and be able to make a good play.
1: Alan Lazard is my guest. Speaking of 12, last week against Cleveland, you caught the 443rd touchdown pass of his career, which set the franchise record. Rodgers was talking about what it meant to him to get that record on a double stick, and he felt like you were going to win before the snap. You had a great line after the game saying, quote, my reaction was just like, oh, bleep, I caught it, end of quote. So what do you remember about that particular play, and what's it mean to you to be a part of history like that?
5: Oh, it's an incredible feeling. You know, more so just from at that, after that, caught the pass and got to the sideline. I just kind of reflected on my journey, you know, just of being a part of history now. Um, you know, it seemed like it was just yesterday when I was on the sideline and he was screaming for 13 to get in the game. You know, I was able to make that big play on Monday night a few years ago. And you know, now I'm able to help him out. Um, so for me, it was kind of like a, a, a moment of full circle. And I just had a lot of gratitude and just uh, a lot of thanks for um where I'm at and you know obviously having him as a quarterback but even more important as a friend
1: Alan Lazard is my guest you know speaking of journey you and I have talked in the past about your journey coming out of college your time in Jacksonville and now you're establishing yourself with the Packers you have a brand and an approach called at the top can you lay that out for me what is ATT all about
5: at the top it's, it's not a destination it's not an accomplishment it's not a place. It's just, you know, the mindset that you're going to wake up and be the best version of yourself every single day. Um, my best friend and I, back in high school, um, we kind of developed this mindset, and, you know, we kind of just ran with it. We always said it to each other to kind of, you know, keep ourselves motivated and keep ourselves, you know, ambitious for our goals. And you know, last year, we during the pandemic and everything, we kind of sat down and decided that we really wanted to, to take what we've used in our life to help us get to places that we want to go, and to kind of spread the word to other people and, um, you know, be able to sh- um, share it that way. So this year we decided to do a docuseries that we're shooting with our brand and 4-4 four, four Creatives uh, Cincinnati. And um, we've done, like, a docuseries this entire season of um, usually just the home games. Um, but just so, you know, kind of things that we battle through behind the scenes and different adversities we go through throughout the season to still get to where we want to go.
1: I love it. I love it. I'll say another guy who I know understands that. And I saw a photo of you and Mercedes Lewis celebrating together last night. I mean, i got to be honest. He is one of my favorite guys in the league. I've got so much respect and admiration for him. What is he like as a teammate and a person?
5: The best. The best. You know, I think what everyone appreciates out of Sadie's is that he just keeps it real all the time. You know, he's going to tell it how it is. And you know he's about his business. And what you see on game day the same person you see. Um, Monday morning, you know, in the workout on the flush lift, so just his personality, his drive and his leadership, you know, we re- re- we really go as a team up for how he leads.
1: Ellen Lazar joining me for another moment or so. So, it's the second straight year that you've clinched the best record in the NFC, in your opinion, and obviously you got a lot of work to do still yet, but how does this year's team compare to last year's team?
5: Yeah, I mean, obviously we have a lot of the same guys and everything, um, having 12 play at this um, ridiculous rate that he's doing right now is is a huge plus, but I think it's just a a contribution to the hard work that everyone in the building, you know, we come in and and we all work and, um, you know, I think we're really about our business and we know how to not, not be complacent. And I think that's the biggest thing is um, especially in this league of just so much talented people, so many um, different great organizations that it takes every single day mindset at-the-top mindset is to wake up and be the best version of yourself. And I think we've really adopted it and established that culture here in Green Bay.
1: So let me finally ask you this, because during the broadcast last night, there was so much talk about how cold it was. I've been in that stadium in December, and I had never experienced anything like that before. What's that like for you as a receiver? I mean, are you used to it, and can you block that out, or can you never, ever really get used to that temperature?
5: Yeah, I think below, you know, below 32, below twenty but below like 20 to 40 is a, you know probably the sweet spot. That's like my favorite temperature to play at. But below 20, it's pretty much the same thing. You know, unless thankfully there wasn't um, too high of winds. Obviously that plays a huge factor into it as well. But um, you know I think for us it's like it's a mindset. You know it's it's a mental tactic, especially against the defense of knowing that we're physically whooping you on the field, and you can see that we're not even phased by the weather and the different um elements that are contributing to the game. So I think, you know, that's something that um James Jones, Jordy Nelson, those guys I think established some time ago and Devontae's really established it in our room of just like not wearing sleeves. And I think that just adding that to the mental part of the game helps us get a huge advantage.
1: He had six receptions, 72 yards, and a big touchdown in last night's win over Minnesota, and now they've got the number one seed in the NFC, Green Bay 13-3, and three, Alan Lazard, my guest. Alan, I appreciate you. Great to have you back on the show. Thanks so much for doing it.
5: Yes, all love, Jim. Good night,